Welcome to Behavioral Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Kurt and I talk to practitioners and researchers of behavioral science in order to learn a bit more about why we do what we do. Sometimes our conversations are deep into science. Other times, they are more focused on the application of that science in real life. Today's episode is a marriage of both. Artem Petikoff is the co-founder of Noom, a behavioral change and weight loss product that marries both psychology and AI to help people form more healthy behaviors and lose weight. Noom is a mobile health coaching app that combines exercise and eating coaching along with AI to drive behavior change. We were interested in talking to Artem about how Noom applies behavioral science to the core of their program. Our conversation with Artem did not disappoint. We discussed a number of behavioral science facets that they've built into the app and how they've experimented and adapted as they've grown and how they continue to innovate. Yeah, yet Artem mentioned that they've only realized 15 to 20% of their vision. So if you like this episode, which I hope you will, or any of our other 130 plus episodes, we would love it if you could leave us a review. We are working hard to bring insights from behavioral science to you in a fun, accessible way, and we want to get that to as many people as we can. And you leaving us a review really, really helps. Yeah, it is super easy. Just jump down to the bottom of your app, then you can rate us or leave us a quick review or or send a link of this to uh, or any other program, actually, to a friend or a colleague who you think might find it interesting. We'll pause, say, for 10 seconds or so, which is all it takes. Just Go ahead and do that. We'll, we'll just wait for you. 10 seconds. Oh, okay. So maybe you're not finished here. How about, how about 10 more seconds, Kurt? <laughs> All right. Just play some music, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Thanks so much for doing that. You, you did it, right? I, I, I think they, they did it. Did I'm pretty sure they did it. <laughs> I hope they did. Okay. I'm with the show. So now it is that time where we ask you to sit back in your favorite listening chair with a big cup of water or juice or some other healthy low-calorie Noom drink (laughs) and enjoy our conversation with Artem Petikoff. Artem Petikoff, welcome to Behavioral Grooves. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we are glad to have you here. Uh, you are the founder of Noom, and we want to talk about uh, the behavioral science impact uh, in the tech world and in the health world a- as well. But can we start with kind of just a very general question of what got you interested in behavioral science? Yeah, good question. I, I've been obsessed with computers ever since I was nine, and my very first computer inclination was to simulate the brain somehow. Uh, every single time I would, I, one of the very first things I made was a program that played Tetris, you know, that wouldn't just have you play it, but that would play it. I went on to write a program that would play chess. Um, I was sort of obsessed with, uh, how can we simulate human emotion? And I started, I got into reading, uh, developmental psych, like, uh, Piaget developmental psychology stuff. Uh And I got into, you know, because I was like, okay, maybe if I can understand the, you know, the young brain, so it should be easier, right? Even though it's very complicated. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I thought this. Was, I was like ten or eleven at the time, uh, trying to <laughs> trying to kind of piece this together. And uh, so from that, I got into then cognitive psych. I really like psychology, uh, anything with psychology on it, for the purpose of simulating, ostensibly. 
and then I got to Princeton and I started taking all of these additional psych and I, I ended up taking a lot of finance and theater classes. And I thought finance is large scale applied psychology. Uh, uh -huh. Theater is small scale applied psychology. So I tried to surround myself and then I did a bunch of psych classes. And the one that I finally ended up taking psychology of decision making with uh, mm -hmm. Daniel Kahneman. Uh, and Good that teacher. Was, he was he was great. <laughs> he was amazing. He was uh, super energetic. Uh, I still remember kind of the energy levels. And uh, you know him and his TAs got me really uh, pumped up about that subfield of it. Um, how do you get people? And a lot of them were sort of you know all these marketing studies. Uh, you know everything he eventually put into thinking fast and slow was pretty much our curriculum. And I ended up doing a couple of extra projects, too, because I was so into it. And I, I was like, oh, my gosh, I really want to figure out how to combine this technology stuff I've been doing, you know, with the psychology of decision making and not even for a purpose of just simulating with AI. But let's actually do it, you know, in, in real humans. How do how do we influence them? So, yeah, it was a it was an interesting journey. I'm still really interested in AI as well. And so Noom kind of is an interesting blend in terms of, you know, getting people to change their 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 habits and their thinking but then doing that through ai uh on the back end so i got to live the dream here well tell us a little bit about the development of noom then how did it come about what were you trying to what are you trying to achieve with it and give us a little bit of that background yeah left google in 2008 thinking that here here i was i was at google i started and led my own project so it was like a mini startup and i thought if i can do a mini startup Instead of Google, by, you know, by golly, I can do. Uh, it's uh, just uh, that uh, easy, uh, right? right? Yeah, yeah. overconfidence bias. Right. Huh? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Very good. And uh, you know, and and so, and it was not so, uh, not so easy. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, ended up uh, struggling for a while to, you know, we we knew. I, I met my co-founder back in two thousand five. Uh, his name is Seju Jong. Seju is. Uh, the polar opposite of me he is a Korean businessman by you know by trade and you know started his own company when he was 19 very very good at business uh, and so that's why we make a good pair we immediately all the way back in 2005 started hatching plans for what to do and you know I I was the final impetus for it was me um, exercising in the gym with a personal trainer and thinking oh my god it would be great you know he's he's doing all these behavior you know he's, he's, he's telling me how to exercise but also doing a lot of positive reinforcement he's doing a lot of you know shaping my behavior etc and i'm like oh my gosh everybody should have this for themselves except it's super expensive and that was sort of a jumping off point for okay maybe we can start a business doing we called it cyber training okay. uh, how do we you know how do we train people to do behaviors and initially tried to honestly boil the ocean a little bit we tried to like okay let's do that for every single behavior every single uh, condition. Let's do diabetes, hypertension. Let's do, you know, let's do cancer. Um, you know, let's do it all. And spent a couple of years trying to do it all at the same time, but uh, uh, not a good startup strategy. Uh, <laughs> and so then we settled on weight loss as an area to really to try to to begin. You know, and I like to say what books are to Amazon, weight loss is to us. So let us train ourselves on behavioral psychology as a business using the weight loss domain because, you know, you, you, need, you need to form a lot of habits. Uh, you know, the stakes are 
both high and low. It's not an acute condition, right? And so it's very important for people, but you know, it's not, you're not a death's door as you might be with uh, something like cancer. So we have some room for experimentation. And at the same time, it's correlated with all these other conditions that we've been trying to do. So we kind of took a step back and said, okay, let's, let's really zoom in on weight loss. And that was already three years into the journey, 2011. You know, and then from that, we started really developing, uh, we already knew cognitive behavior therapy was super critical to this. Um, part of the journey was actually shaped, I don't talk about this a lot, but I think you guys might be interested. We, uh, we had an early co- collaboration with Sinai Center for, uh, pathology, for Eating Disorders, uh, for okay. Pathologies and Eating Disorders. And, you know, that's where obviously people, you know, we're talking uh, bulimia, anorexia nervosa. We're talking about people who are eating with no physiological necessarily basis for it. It's quite disconnected from physiology. And that got us even more on this, even though I was already a psychology of decision-making, you know, mindset, I got us even more into that because so many of these weight loss interventions are so focused on, okay, calories in, calories out. But what about, yes, that's, that's a truism, but it's a very reductionist uh, way of thinking about it. And what about everything around that? And so that we built actually one, one of the early things we built was we built an eating disorder uh, intervention that people use together with the therapists. And we sort of ended up slowly putting stuff in the weight loss program that was from that program as well and very CBT focused, you know, so how do you identify, you know, uh, thought patterns? How do you look for triggers? You know, how, Mm -hmm. how do you then work to change those while working with, you know, with a therapist and, uh, right. And then initially it was all AI based. In fact, we had no human coaches. You know, we, we tried to do it all because we're, you know, AI, AI nerds were like, AI can do it all. Uh, and about three years into that, by 2000, uh, well, five years into the journey, three years into doing the weight loss thing, 2013, we sort of mm, topped out uh, or yeah, a lot of stuff was, we were like, there's still a lot of problems, but we can't figure out how to solve it all. So let's try adding a human in. And we tried adding a human coach and we saw, uh, we, and we actually took a human coach and made them coach people, just 20 people at a time, Okay, 20 people by, with one human coach. And we saw they were getting great results. Of course, it's not at all scalable. Uh, and so <laughs> then we spent the next three years getting it to be even an early commercially viable sp- scale until 2016. So how do you sort of put all this psychology, human coaching how do you put uh, that together with a domain like weight loss, you know, a good commercial domain and make a, make a real course and a real, you know, and so we now think of Noom as a set of courses um, that essentially are around these different things. And now we've been able to come back and sort of say, let's add a diabetes course, let's add a hypertension course um, and working on a, you know, working on a bunch more to actually do it, you know, not boil in the ocean, but rather you know, doing it in a concerted, organized way. So stepwise kind of projecting, yes, you know, right. forward actually, into the whole thing. Good business strategy. You know, <laughs> we, we were not, you know, early on, we did not really, you know, we were scientists, but that doesn't, doesn't make good business strategy. Uh, oh, I think it's great that it's only taken you 15 years to be an overnight success. Exactly. No, it's, uh, it definitely feels like that, you know, it was, uh, it was slow, slow, slow. And then, you know, all at once sort of exponential processes working there. Oh, I'm interested in in hearing about, you know, adding in that personalized coach. Because so I just uh, 
FYI mm-hmm. for everybody listening and for you, you know, I, I joined Noom just a couple weeks ago to A, because I needed to lose some weight, but B, I wanted, I knew we were going to do this. So I, so I joined, yep. by the way, I'm down five pounds. So oh, it's, it's a all good right. thing, you know, it, it's, it's working. Um, but one of the things, so as, as I was going through all of this, the, it was really interesting because you start off with a personalized coach and then you get a group coach. Um, and so help us understand the, how are you bringing that in and, and what role are they playing in this behavioral science aspect of it um, versus some of the other lessons that are built into mm-hmm. the app itself? Yeah, you know, it, it probably won't come as a surprise to you, but positive reinforcement is probably the biggest force that's driving this. And, you know, the coach has, the coach has a couple of different functions. I mean, there is there is definitely functional aspects to it. Like, okay, I need to I'm going on vacation. How do I, how do I sort of set things up so that, you know, how do I um, customize the course in a way that doesn't sort of sail me by while on vacation? So there's the pedestrian stuff, but really the core of what they're doing is providing the positive reinforcement and providing the specific praise that is so, you know, that we also need to, to have that. And, you know, you need to, for that to be valuable, of course, we found that unsurprisingly it has to come with a person from whom you have with whom you have a relationship right and so you build up that relationship you build up that those credits and if somebody caring for you and when you when you do go ahead and you know accomplish something you know might be a small might be a small non-scale victory you know we call them nsvs right and so you know that nsv might be um, okay, well, I, you know, I had a, you know, I had a sandwich still, but, you know, I put in some more greens into it uh, than I normally would, you know, that so telling somebody, okay, okay, Joey, you have done this, um, you know, you, you've, you, you, I'm really proud of you. And it actually mm. means something. Um, and people, you know, crave that a lot of times we hear from people, they actually don't have a lot of support around them. You know, you would think, all right, why, why isn't, why aren't their friends doing that? Like, yeah. yeah, you know, there's that, um, they're not necessarily feeling understood. Um, a lot of times, of course, we also know that obesity is in clusters. So there's, a, you know, they're surrounded you know, by an epigenetic environment and, you know, by people who are encouraging them to, you know, maybe they're foot pushers or, you know, people who are just not, not into this. And so, yeah, it's that, it's, uh, it's that is uh, super critical. And one of the things that the coaches do is early on, get there, what we call YBP, your big picture, right? What's the big picture of the, I'm sure you went through this. What's the, what's the big picture that, why are you trying to do this? You know, and a lot of times people start off by saying, oh, I'm trying to do this to lose 10 pounds. But why, right? What's the, you know, and it's like, well, you know, it might be to, uh, yeah, because I just want to look better, but why? You know, it's like, well, okay, I'm, you know, I, I have, you know, I I actually need the confidence at work, you know, okay, well now we're, you know, now we're sort of getting somewhere. And then, you know, once you bring that in and you share that and you, uh, and you have that relationship of sharing things that you don't share with other people, then we can bring that in that big picture every time. And when the moment gets tough also, okay, remember why you're doing this, right? Yeah. Um, okay. You know, it's that, you know, that goal is still worth it, right? That's more worth it more than sort of a, you know, the Netflix and chill alternative, um, <laughs> right? That's, uh, that's right there. And so easily, you know, it's a, I always say our biggest competitor is the couch. <laughs> all right i like that, yeah, that that's yeah. going that's going in you know, the there's, notes there's here. a lot of yeah there's a lot of emphasis on ux and cx these days and yeah. uh wondering how you brought behavioral science into the design of the app itself 
Yeah, uh, good question. And we're, by the way, for all these things, I will say, we're such a work in progress. You know, I think we're nowhere close to finishing this. You know, we're maybe 15, 20% done with the vision that we have, uh, where it will eventually go. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're all worst critics, we're all working on it, are always opening it up and saying, oh my gosh, still so much to do. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you some things that we've done that I think are pretty uh, neat and successful. For example, uh, when you log uh, your meals, we give you what's called the meal feedback screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the meal feedback screen emphasizes the positive. It doesn't actually, it specifically hides the analysis, sort of the the, the brutally honest, you know, it hides that. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and there's a lot of temptation, a lot of these other applications when you're when you're logging, there's a like a temptation to like, okay, let me show you your macronutrient uh, thing, balance, and it's totally out of whack, of course, right, for, <laughs> for everybody. But it's like, but that's not what that's not positive reinforcement. So instead, we're going to pick something good, anything. You know, maybe maybe you're te- having a terrible meal, but you actually logged for the last three meals. Okay, that's a streak. You know, and or maybe you're having you know a burger, but like, were there veggies in there? Was there lettuce in there? It's like, yes, there was. Okay, well, you had lettuce. <laughs> uh, let's let's find something good. And then if you want to dig, there is a button that says, okay, show me the analysis. You know, an analysis is sort of keyword for, yeah, the brutally honest. And then you can choose to expose yourself to that, right? And, and you know, it's like yeah, level with me. What, you know, how am I doing, especially on these weekly trends? But, you know, we, we always try and hide that um, behind uh, behind this. And so we think of everything as a little... You know, uh, on a mac- micro scale, when you slide your food to log it, that's a that's a mini piece of positive reinforcement. On a slightly bigger scale, that meal feedback positive reinforcement. When you complete a task or a day, there's like a completion article that's positive reinforcement. So we think of these ever growing reward loops that are going through to constantly to co- constantly reinforce you. Uh, and then the substance of it is. Yeah, it's important, and you know, over time, important to maintain a calorie balance, et cetera. But it's not as important as as the stickiness of it, you know. So that comes to mind. And another thing that I think is really powerful is the high fives that the coaches can send. Uh, and we've spent a lot of different, you know, we can talk about experimentation later. But you know, we cert- certainly run a lot of experiments, and it took a long time to get right. Uh, how can a coach best send positive reinforcement? Is it sort of through regular chat, et cetera? And we we found that actually doing them in notifications was actually working well and actually not having it like a regular chat because a chat is just sort of an ongoing conversation transcript. It doesn't even stand out as much as a notification as a, as like a special notification would. And that's why we now call them out as high fives. Now, not, uh-huh. just, not just a coach saying, okay, good job. Right. No, it's like an actual thing. Okay. That's, that's a high five worthy behavior and so you know we we uh, we spent a lot of time uh tuning that and still very early in that process we're always thinking how do you then you know we think a lot of also um variety of rewards so how do you obviously you know variability in rewards is really important both in the timing sort of you know how do you do random reinforcement of this stuff you know in a random reinforcement schedule so we think about that uh right we don't for example we actually recently finally got around to changing this we used to give every time you would log a meal, it would say, tell you what your streak is. And now it tells you sort of randomly at different times because, you know, the random reinforcement. Lottery effect. There you go. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're incorporating little uh, techniques like that into it. And then also in terms of then not even the timing variability, but sort of the, 
um, and I actually don't don't know off the top of my head what the what that is called, but sort of varying the color. You know, I like to you know you're painting in different colors. How do you vary the color uh, <laughs> of the reward? You know, so you know one time you'll talk about the streak, another you'll talk about the content, another you'll talk about you know uh, the the habit that you just formed. And if you you know if you can uh, if you can do that, that's uh, really important. Uh, we think a lot about. I don't know if you guys use this on the, on the podcast, but sort of Maslow's basement, right? That's from. <laughs> no, no. I forget where that's from. It's from. I definitely did not invent this. Uh, getting out. Maybe it's from Switch uh, by the by the Heath brothers. Um, okay. You know, and they they talk about. I think that's them. You know, they talk about everybody getting. You know, doing positive reinforcement through the lowest base. You know, the lowest uh, sort of safety and you know yeah. hunger hunger needs. And it's like, but the reality is there's so much more of the, you know, there's so much more of the pyramid. And so how do you bring in, you know, how do you bring in the social rewards? You know, so we think about that a lot from the group perspective. Okay. The group can provide recognition and status and the coach can provide, you know, praise and, uh, you know, an achievement. And then when you're helping others in the group, that's transcendence, you know, so really Mm -hmm. at the top. You know, so yeah, we think a lot about how do you paint in all the different colors in, you know, and use that to inform the UX UI to make all the different ones easier to reach. Because of course, different people are differently sensitive to different types of rewards, right? Some are, you know, and some, by the way, choose not to, it's important. Some choose not to use the coach at all, you know, yeah. and think, oh. and it's fine. They're like, leave me alone. I'm, I'm a self-achiever. <laughs> leave me be. I'm going to work through this program. And, you know, every once in a while, they may have like a technical, you know, and they'll use them to raise a tech support question or something <laughs> instead, because they don't need that. And that's totally fine. You know, it's a, it's actually a thing that I think some people, I've heard some people afraid to go into the program because I'm, I'm not the coaching type. Yeah. Like, well, first of all, don't knock until you try it, you know, but it, it, it is interesting because the, the app itself has a lot of, there's a lot of educational components just within it. So what I've been really impressed with is the amount of behavioral science that you're actually teaching people. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and and you know, I've been in it for a little over 2 weeks and so it's 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 relatively basic stuff, but it's still it's really yep. good solid understanding of motivations and triggers and all yep. of these aspects that I think to to part of what we're trying to do as as a podcast is is to help, you know, expand the the knowledge out there yep. for people who are interested in this and I think you are doing a a really nice job with that so I could see where some people feel like I get enough information just mm-hmm. here I don't need to have that personalized coach. Yep. That being said, how how are you looking at that aspect of it? Uh, because again, you know, information mm-hmm. in and of itself is good, but it usually doesn't change yeah. behavior, but you're building it in with these other mm-hmm. aspects. So how are you building on all of that? Yeah, you know, we we, we actually like to say the expression for that for us is uh, brain power trumps willpower, mm. right? And if you can really understand what makes you tick, a lot of people uh, can then change, uh, can then change that. Of course, it's not automatic. It's not like, okay, I understand it now. I understand the trigger now I can do it. But if I understand it and then I can practice, you know, breaking that trigger, you know, suddenly behavior change does happen. So we like to essentially teach them. We think of it as a skills-based program. So let's teach you the basics of the skill. Let's teach you the actual foundational component and then have you practice it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, by the way, it's still not, you know, I think we teach more than we can practice with you know it just takes a long time to build up all the different components to you know i think eventually the program will have 
even more interactivity, even more things that you can sort of activities you can do to, you know, to practice the muscle, right? As mm -hmm. we know, you know, that it's just like, so you can flex this willpower muscle as well. So here, let's build up little simulations and things like that. And let's have you, I don't know, walk into a VR store and shop there and resist, you know, yeah. resist uh, the aisles with the, you know, with the ice cream. <laughs> Uh, and how do you, you know, how do you do that? And, you know, how do you do <laughs> acceptance-based therapy in this way? And so we teach, you know, I, I think teaching right now is sort of a shortcut for that. And we give you some activities and leave you on your own to practice uh, for some of them. You know, for some, we can actually, for some, we can actually help. And yeah, if you think people are fine and really responding to that, we hear that a lot. You know, now I understand it. Now I understand myself. Now I can change myself. So, yeah, I think that's been somehow undervalued by society. You know, I'm, I'm always surprised. I thought that it took us longer to start marketing the product than it should have because I thought people wouldn't necessarily read. Yeah. Um, you know, reading is, uh, I think, forget. Steve Jobs said like five, you know, when was when was he was he around uh, five, eight years ago? Like nobody reads anymore, right? Yeah. That was like the quote, you know, they only yeah. consume through uh, sound or through video, right? So I'm still impressed. We're thinking about that. We're thinking about how to add more multimedia uh, dimensions to it. But um, yeah, by itself, I, I think it's a bigger force than people realize that teaching yeah. education is. And, and there's also an intrinsic value to it. When you're learning, it feels intrinsically good. So yeah. it's, sort of, it's actually, interestingly, a form of a reward to learn. And so as they're going through, getting little pieces of knowledge, they are, you know, um, that's, that's also feeding their motivation level to change their habits. Yeah. Well, you bring it up, you bring it in, in short little, you know, yeah. snippets where you, you read the, the little bit and then you, you swipe, then you read the little bit and you swipe. And then exactly. there's usually a, a poll or a question or something. And you, mm -hmm. you bring humor into it too, which I always like. And, yeah. and you highlight the, you know, specific pieces. So again, you're, you're using a lot of these behavioral yeah. communication tactics in order to yeah get people to read to, to your point if that yeah. if all of the stuff that you have for for any single day was in just one long piece that you were supposed to read every morning you probably wouldn't get the the, the people reading it like you do so i think that's a really in, intelligent part on your aspect of bringing that in and using those those aspects so thank you can we talk a little bit about testing you uh, you're in the experimentation yeah yeah experimentation yeah. i mean the part of the the scientific method is to test and experiment and try different things how does that play into the the product and into yeah. the business yeah super heavily i mean that's why um, and we you know of course uh, first first thing i'll say is we're very careful to do everything you know you know we actually have a this sort of a research consent and all these things that when you're when you're actually opting into the into the product there is kind of a you know we will do and we're always first of all making sure that there is nothing we're not overly limiting for example calorie consumption or anything like that so these are all in the realm of what type of positive reinforcement will work best right not what type of diet or something like that will work uh, will work well and so what we do there is and and I think so first thing I'll say is most of the the problem is that most of the science doesn't really apply uh, to, you know, sadly to the real world. You know, there's a lot of these, most of these studies are done and I'll paint with a broad stroke. So pardon the academics you know, <laughs> who might be listening to it, but many of these studies are done with sort of 50 grad students. Right. And it's like, yeah, they're, you know, you know, I did some in undergrad, I did some of these studies and I mean, first of all, you're being paid to stay in it. And so, and of course, the number one problem with behavior is dropping out, right? With yeah. behavior change, just drop out completely. 
And so, um, like, there's a famous, um, I'll pick on one that's like the three gratitudes, you know, oh, every day, write down three things you're grateful for. And it shows, you know, there's a very robust, you know, reproducible research that says that's a much better way to, you know, to improve mood and sort of cure depression than reading a self-help book, you know, so they mm -hmm. did RCT between those two things. And yeah, when we tried putting the three gratitudes into the program, everybody dropped out, you know, very quickly, because it's hard to maintain that habit. But of course, in the study, it's very effective because the grad students are getting paid to stay in one of the arms. And so, yes, yeah. if if you have 15 minutes every day, then the three gratitudes is absolutely better than reading a self-help book. But if you don't, you know, if you're going to drop out, then the three gratitudes don't work. So a lot of times we're unfortunately starting from sort of from scratch. What can work in a normal population that's not getting not getting paid to stay in the program uh, is paying in paying. So, you know, the temptation to drop out is even higher to stop paying. So that's interesting. So we have to run our own experiments, basically. Right. And yeah. figure out, OK, you know, what schedule will be what schedule of positive reinforcement will be best? How do we assess readiness for change, you know, best. I'm just citing some of the recent experiments we're doing. Okay. You know, and depending on the readiness for change, how can we offer something personalized to, you know, if you're in the action stage, then you, you probably want some other material than if you're in, you know, sort of the preparedness contemplation stage. Right. And how do we, you know, how do we segment people in those or, you know, how do we let people who don't want to coach, how do we let them uh, opt out of it without turning off the people who actually are a little bit reluctant but actually would benefit, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of those things that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, mentioning are experiments that we run on usually around 10,000 people uh, per experiment. So, you know, because we have the, the commercial volume, we can just, you know, randomize 10,000 people into these. And, you know, that's a much more robust result than 50 grad students. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. It is one of the powers of this, right? That you have exactly. a, a scale of, of people out there and to that, that point, I mean, we've, We've talked with people from Airbnb and Uber and different pieces. And one of the things that, that, you know, we salivate on is the ability to just run these, these tests very, very rapidly. And yeah. uh, with, with a large number of, again, randomized people as opposed to, you know, grad students and be able to do these over and over and really get some real world data that then comes back to inform how these are being used and, and, and the positive aspects that can be brought from them. So, yeah, we love the fact that it's so central to what we do and that we're also honestly using it for good. I mean, you know, you can, uh, science is uh, not, you know, in my opinion, it, it's neither good nor bad. You can apply it, you know, in different ways. And we're, you know, it's nice to be applying it in these good ways because of course you can also use it to sort of, you know, uh, sell things to people who don't need them let's say exactly right uh <laughs> you can you know you can right. you know you can offer them those three it's jars of jam very powerful stuff like, right right like, <laughs> like, what, what if they didn't need the jam you sold them the jam and you didn't need the jam um you know that's what I, I think i was thinking that when i was initially uh that was a i think that was some that was in uh, daniel kahneman's class for for the jam study i was like what if they don't need it uh, yeah you know, but but you sold it to them you sold it to more people and, you know three of us the uh, optimal number. So, you know, yeah, that's a, you know, it, it's nice, but it feels like it really opens us up to being able to experiment more with it and also recruit the people who are passionate about, you know, actually doing it, using it for good and uh, apply this basic science for good. I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about uh, what you see going on with COVID-19 and where you think behavioral science might apply to help us through this particular crisis. 
It's, it's so interesting. It's such a, you know, it's a crisis that is happening outside of the operating room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, they, of course, they're treating patients and they're doing an amazing job saving them, but it's stuff that can be fully avoided. Um, it's a little different than many of the other. I mean, it's, it's actually similar in that way to the top five reasons, you know, people die are sort of behavioral. But this one is just so immediate um, that I've been thinking a lot. I I really wish that Noom was even a bigger company now to be able to contribute more to it. You know, we're still, you know, if we're sort of uh, eventually aspiring to be Google or Facebook side, would be on the front lines doing everything. I think right now we're doing just a little bit. For example, you know, I think a lot of people are saying, you know, early on there was don't touch your face. And as soon as I heard that, the behavioral uh, sort of psychology in me says, well, that's a don't. You know, what's the... You know, what's what's the negative of that being, you know, what's the actual do? And I was like, okay, find some other way to put your hands. Yeah. Right. Actually, you know, put your hands in your pockets. That's yeah. so much easier to do than don't touch your face. Yeah. Right. Don't think of the pink <laughs> elephant, you know. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> right. Right. You know, and it, and right. um, so a lot of it is uh and yet yeah, and the, there was, yet there was nobody, you know, we tried we uh, did a little bit in our blog and everything, but I, I wish there was a little bit more recognition of Hey, how do we use behavioral psychology to um, to influence people? You know, the other one that um, that I was thinking about is you know all the mask stuff and how do we reinforce that and create you know sort of positive praise for people to you know to wear them. You know, and can we can we create campaigns um, that you know sort of spotlight the heroes and you know and sort of create like okay streaks of wearing a mask in a row and not forgetting it and you know it could be could be doing so much right now so. Yeah, I really wish Noom could be doing more right now. For for now, we've just been able to incorporate all the COVID. We've incorporated a bunch of COVID content in our course. I don't know if you got, you may have gotten just slipped right before we did. Uh, but now if you start in the first two weeks, we'll teach you a lot of things that just, you know, slightly uh, modified because, yeah, um, you know, uh, you uh, it's just general good behavioral techniques and it does involve food and sort of shopping for food and things like that where, yeah, very likely to be exposed. So we've been doing a lot to even bring it into our weight loss program. But yeah, um, you know, I think long term we see ourselves doing a bunch of these programs, and you know, eventually releasing uh, sort of preventative health program, and um, you know, and that would be super critical, right? I think we do a terrible job right now, even with flu vaccines, of reinforcing. You know, yeah, all they do is they do reminders. You know, that's pretty yeah. much. That's the the tool in their toolkit is, you know, and I, I call them nags, you know, <laughs> nag me about a flu test. Where's, you know, where's no, they're the not nudges. <laughs> right, no. right. No, they're like, oh, get your flu test. I mean, you haven't done your, you know, you've been done. How dare you not have done, done your flu <laughs> yeah. test? It's like, that's not a way to change behavior. So I think public well, health uh, is just could use so much more behavioral nudges than they do now. Yeah, we were talking um, the other day, um, um, Gretchen Chapman, who has done a lot of work on vaccines and influenza mm. and various different pieces. And, and one of the interesting things, you know, she's talking the same thing. Like, you know, we, we send nudges and, or reminders, different things. And even just going back to your experimentation aspect, one, one hospital was using this idea of, oh, when you get a vaccine, you get a sticker of like saying, all right, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm good, positive, positive reinforcement. Right. But then there's a, the, the unintended consequences of that is, well, wow, there's only, you know, 20% of people getting this. And so now the social norm is, oh, most people don't. And then you, right. you, you, you so you have a, you have the, the social norm of being not getting it and which reinforces right, right, right. some of the, the negative behavior. So 
which is always the interesting part about behavioral science is that it's contextual basis. And there's so many factors that go into how our behavior is impacted, which I think is one of the interesting pieces that you're bringing in going back to just Noom and, and the, and the weight loss aspect of it is that it's not just a calorie counter. It's not just this positive reinforcement mm-hmm. piece. It's, it's bringing in multiple facets. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, you're only 15 to 20% done with that vision and that, that it's still expanding and growing. Um, so where do you see it going? I and mean, you've talked a little bit about it in kind of different aspects here, but where yeah. do you see this really going five years from now, 10 years from now? What would you, what'd be that perfect vision? Yeah, I think for us, uh, I would uh, say going uh, horizontal, uh, you know, that's sort of easier to imagine where, you know, using that to tackle additional conditions. We're already doing uh, research in Korea for uh, with Seoul National University Hospital for using Noom for cancer patients. And uh, in what way? Out, how does how, how would you use it yeah. for cancer patients? So uh, it turns out people who get placed on chemo for, let's say, breast cancer, they, uh, you know, it's toxic, literally have taking poison. And so, especially with oral, uh, with these oral, uh, some of these oral drugs. And so um, they have really adverse reactions and they start losing weight very rapidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so physiologically it's bad and they're, you know, not getting enough calories. Uh, and then secondly, they're very discouraged psychologically. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible, uh, it's a terrible thing. And so we are using Noom to help them tolerate and, uh, chemo better. And because it turns out that many, many times the doctors say, oh my gosh, you really can't tolerate this. I have to take you off of it because I mean, you know, it's doing more, you know, you're, you're, uh, there's a uh, condition called cachexia where you're sort of wasting away and, you know, and losing too much weight. Um, and there's, you know, lesser forms of that where they say, oh yeah, you're doing so much harm because you're not getting the nutri- nutrition. And so Noom is being used in, uh, for that. And we're seeing some great results. People are able to tolerate chemo better. They're happier also staying on it longer so which means that you get a better outcome right you the 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 treat you know you're essentially you know chemo you know if you can you know if you can survive it like it does great things right and so yeah um yeah and i'm very excited about that i think that showcases you know and there's like a whole spectrum in there between you know uh just a little bit of weight loss and going also going less acute okay well i just need to be in my you know i just want to be good preventatively you know, uh, I, I just want to take, I don't have any specific health problems, but I want to get better at health in general, going, going to the gym more and getting my vaccinations done. And then all the way to in the middle of sort of weight loss and then all the way to cancer treatment and wherever that, uh, wherever those problems exist, then Noom, you know, should be there providing, you know, providing the behavioral psychology aspect of it. So that's on the, that's sort of on the breadth side. You know, there's uh, even in Bill Gates's documentary, right? The toilets. He built all these toilets, yeah. you know, amazing toilet. But people in India are not using it because they're used to going outside. And it's like, well, that's a behavioral problem. Let's tackle that. So I think Noom is handling, you know, in in this in this vision, Noom is handling all of the different aspects, public health aspects of it, and you know, specific condition aspects of it too, and maximally reducing the burden of disease. You know, fifty percent of deaths uh, happen because of behavior. Right. Yeah. Premature deaths because of behavior. You know, how do we slice that? You know, how, how do we cut that down? And then and then the depth. Yeah. I mean, I think we're just so early still in understanding all the different types of intrinsic motivation that different people have and providing incredibly powerful experiences for them in the program. You know, right now you're in groups, but, 
you're placed in this group and we have an algorithm that tries to do the best the best job but what we can do is also then let you switch and find the group that's most appropriate for you therapeutically and there's a lot of you know uh i think a lot of reasons to believe that if you're able to choose your own group and have a little bit more uh, you know shift the locus of control towards you you'll be even more effective but we haven't had a chance to build that and so every mm. single aspect from you know, how you do the meal feedback to how you get placed into groups to how coaches talk to you, it can just go so much deeper. And that's where that, you know, that other 80% is happening. So, you know, that's why I always said, oh, this needs to be a company of, you know, 10,000 people plus yeah. to do that. And right now we still have, uh, you know, 110 people are the, you know, the the core people working on the development and 1700 coaches. Okay. Um, and so, you know, there's still a lot, you know, to go into that 10,000 number. Um, <laughs> Uh, to build it. So yeah, there's, it's to me, it's, you know, I think uh, we're really happy with where we are because I think this, what we're building is necessary. It feels like it's necessary for the world. Um, and, you know, it turns out people are, uh, want to invest in their health and, um, you know, even more so now with COVID. I mean, we, you know, we're seeing the slight silver lining of this terrible crisis is that we're seeing people wake up and say, oh yeah, actually, you know, obesity can kill me. Uh, unfortunately, right? And it's like, and, and they're seeing, of course, diabetes was always, diabetes always takes 10 years of people's life. Mm -hmm. But when they're seeing people die of COVID because they, you know, they have these pre-existing conditions, it makes them care about health more. So we're seeing an upswell, um, yeah, in our business and in general, in the interest in, in chronic condition management. Well, and, and this is a massive change in people's lives, which then allows them to potentially make other changes in their lives. So they're not in that same routine, daily routine. And so being able to make the other changes uh, is, is a little bit easier in those situations because everything else is uprooted. They're not being lulled into, you know, the habit of going to work. I need to stop at Starbucks and get my, you know, whatever, you know, large mm -hmm. uh, fancy coffee that has 800 calories in it. And so now I can change that. I can. Right, I can, right, right. That's true. Yeah. That. Yeah. Wendy Wood called it the catastrophic fresh start. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's right. Like, that's good. Right. Thank you very much for taking your time and sharing your thoughts with, with behavioral grooves. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Welcome to our grooming session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our behavior groups discussion with Artem, have a free-flowing conversation, and whatever else comes into our healthily behavioral changed brains. Wow, that's so big. Wow. Yeah, okay. well, you know, it's it's this idea of that we're changing our brain patterns, which will then change our behavior. Yeah. Well, we loved this conversation because there was so much to like about it. But what struck you most, Kurt? Well, I I, I do have to just say that you know, we talked to a lot of people, a lot of really bright people. Artem was very, very bright. I mean, just, you know, he started coding when he was 10 and, uh, to <laughs> simulate the brain. Um, I thought that was super, super cool. And, 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 he, and he brings that in a really um, respectful way in this and not, not bragging yeah, or anything, but you can just, you can tell from our conversation, uh, was really, really impressed with that. What about you? Well, that also came through when we were talking about music and I asked about languages and he said, oh, I can't listen to you know music with any lyrics because I'm kind of a language geek. And I thought, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know what he's talking about, the, the various aspects of language and trying to understand what that is, even if he doesn't, you know, 
know the language. So and he and he studied with Danny Kahneman. Danny Kahneman, how freaking cool is that? <laughs> so my question with that is, he got exposed to a Nobel Prize winning you know economist and psychologist, right? So he gets this right from the well, and he gets inspired. How many people? took classes from Kahneman over the years and didn't get inspired. Like what is wrong with them? <laughs> oh, I don't think anything's wrong with that. Well, maybe there is. I don't oh know. God, I would give my you know left leg to do that. But oh, all right. No. Okay. That, that, so again, that that I thought it was really interesting. And then, you know, the other piece which you brought up in in the in the episode was, hey, it was a 12-year journey to being an overnight success. Oh, I yeah. just right. uh, and again, I think a lot of overnight successes that we hear about in the media and various different things has have this aspect that we don't see all the hard work, all the iterations, all of the failures that happened before they hit it big. Yeah. You know, those pieces yeah. where there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. Um, music is is one of those things I, you know, I think about all the time all the bands that oh, overnight you know, struggled for years and years and years playing bars and no name places and then they get a big hit and all of a sudden everybody's like oh wow you just are an overnight success <laughs> they're going not so consider much. the 15 years <laughs> i put into this right. before and i think noom is is one of those so uh, yeah. they did a number of iterations they went through a number of changes they modified they changed and you know yeah his his attention to flexibility while there is an aspect of staying true to the vision this is a this is a great uh, story in goal setting as far as i'm concerned where people set long-term goals and i think that we have to when we set long-term goals that are going to be really successful they need to be sort of vague enough in order to allow for flexibility uh, and the short-term goals then need to be pretty specific but they also need to be the kind of thing that you can turn through and say, well, that didn't work. Yeah. And he did, right? He still had this vision of helping people with their health in a very kind of broad and vague way. But all these short-term iterations, oh, we tried that, that didn't work. And then we tried something else and we tried it for three years and that didn't work. Like, man, that's a lot of dedication to do something and then say, to really take your status quo bias and throw it out the window and say, well, <laughs> we tried it and it didn't go. So let's try something else. I well, he talked cool. about, you know, they started by boiling the ocean, you know, his, yeah. his, his comment about we just took on so much and we had to really hone ourselves in and get our minds wrapped around the fact that we can't do everything at this point that we need nope. to start. And I loved his little idea where he talked about, um, what books are to Amazon weight losses for us. Oh, and when he realized that, I think that's probably, you know, one of those great things. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people who are starting off in business attempt to boil the ocean. There's big problems out there. And instead of trying to do that, you really have to figure out what is it, that, what's your book? What's your, you know, what's that book piece that you can really dominate? And then from there moving out, which is, I think is what he's doing as well. I love the idea that they're, you know, working in uh, diabetes now that the, the cancer research piece that he was talking about. So they are starting to expand that vision and move that back out. And, you know, the exponential growth of the app since they launched the app in 2016, uh, you know, according to Forbes, their their revenue in 2017 was 12 million. 
In 2018, it was 61 million. In 2019, it was 237 million. And they have now over 50 million users. So there's some validity to, there's some validity to to that approach. I'm really sympathetic to uh, entrepreneurs who struggle with this because it's really, really hard to come up with that right combination of it's got to be big enough to have an impact, but it can't be too broad as in boiling the ocean. It's really hard. And I also just want to say that I am impressed that with the uh, employee count that they have, uh, their success is is marvelous, right? But they have a very, they're using their salary dollars to vote more for coaches at 1700 coaches and only a hundred coders. And so they're saying really now we could argue that for <laughs> 50 million users, 1700 coaches is, is, might be light. But the fact is that w- the dollars that they're spending on their salary are focused more on their, on their customers, on the people who are buying the app and using the app than they are just on the technology. They've got a hundred coders, 1700 co- coaches. And I think that that's a really cool um, evidence of the mission that they have to actually focus on helping people get healthy. Yeah, I, I would agree. I want to go back to your talk about entrepreneurs and this, how difficult it is to pick a area of focus that isn't too big, but is big enough. Because I know you and I have had this conversation <laughs> yes. about our own businesses. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those pieces to your point earlier, when you talked about having that long-term goal that is vague enough, uh, that I think a, a lot of entrepreneurs don't do. I, I think we we get locked in either because this is my area of expertise, and so it gets way too narrow, and I can only do these things. Uh, when I think a lot of our skill sets are transferable across different uh, industries or even approaches, and we can take those insights that we have maybe that are in a one narrow domain and be able to bring those out to a a larger domain or this, this desire to save the world and to be the answer for everybody and everything. And that doesn't work either. And I think it's a really interesting tightrope that we have to walk as, as small businesses or entrepreneurs as we, as we're doing that. So, uh, commend those people that are able to do that. But I loved your idea of having that long-term goal be vague enough. And then these short-term goals that are more of experiments to understand, are we hitting that? Are we, are we achieving that? And then being able to flex and to pivot and to be able to take that next move and say, all right, it's not working. It's too big or it's too narrow. And let's, let's reiterate and let's come up with something that actually does work. So Yeah. What else struck you, Kurt? Just the behavioral science behind all of the work that they're doing. I I was really pleased. And this gets back into this, the application of behavioral science into life and work, right? And and Artem and, and the Noom team are actually doing that. They are applying behavioral science really well into the product that they are, are making, uh, informing almost everything that they're doing, it sounds like. Bringing in elements around triggers and thought patterns and variability of rewards and visual cues and intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and all of those aspects. (laughs) Uh, And and again, we didn't get into the details around that, but 
you could tell that that was part of the culture of the organization. And I think that's really key. And I think it's one of the pieces from my perspective that too often we think of, maybe we don't always think, and maybe this is too general of a statement, but we often think of behavioral science as these cute little experiments that show how irrational we are from a behavior perspective and all the biases that, you know, the list of biases that is out on Wikipedia and we go, oh, look at how cool and neat this is and how our memory bias and, you know, tricks us this way, how our decision-making biases trick us this way. And the reality of this is, is that's all great and it's great to understand that, but it's how do you apply that to actually make a positive change in this world? Yeah. And what I see Artem doing is taking those behavioral science principles, the behavioral psychology that he's talking about, and using that to have a positive impact on people in their healthy habit forming and behaviors. Yeah. And so I love that. And it's not just one thing. It's not just one idea. It's not one nudge. Uh, it reminds me of, I did some work with Doug Burgum, who is currently the governor of North Dakota, mm -hmm. when he was the president of Great Plains Software, a little accounting software firm before it was acquired by uh, Microsoft. Doug used to say it's important to have 100 ideas that bring a 1% growth if to the company than have one idea that brings 100% growth to the company. Yeah. And that concept is something that Artem is putting to use. They're using all kinds of, of ways to try to engage people and keep them on board for this really grand purpose of improving their health and uh, doing it in such a way that you're not going to be subject to just one good idea and yeah. hope that that sticks. He's trying hundreds of good ideas and, and hoping that they have just a tiny impact on you to try to actually build up those, those good habits. Right, which then goes into how experimental heavy they are, yes. right? And doing yeah. those experiments, real world experimentation, as you said, not the lab, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, not paying kids in college to do these studies. We are actually testing ten thousand people. It was pretty critical of that, but there's still a lot of good science that has come from that. Um, well, there is. There's lots of really great science, and it informs. But uh, you know, to his point, the three gratitudes experiment that they did, which yeah. I love, the three gratitudes, and we've we've talked with other people about doing that, particularly given the COVID crisis and everything, and how important it is to stay grateful and and to have some of that element of self care that the the gratitude does for you. When they applied it inside of this, you know, people dropped out of the program. Yeah. So that idea yeah. that if you're not being paid to do it, it can be hard to find 10, 15 minutes to focus on that at the end of the day. And that is just too much friction to continue with it. So in the real world, while the idea of it may be great, the application of it is much more difficult. I'm hoping that they're going to share this data with the world, share this through peer-reviewed journals, because if they're doing all these experiments, there's you know, going to be a ton of, there's going to be mountains worth of data that they can compare and go back and write critical uh, peer-reviewed research papers to help 
other companies to help other people understand how these experiments work in the real world. I'm really hope we didn't get a chance to talk about that, but I, I hope that they're going to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. That would be fantastic. I think as we talked about, there's lots of companies that are in this technology space that are at a scale now that they can run a number of these experiments that are focused on a behavioral science insight. And my hope is that all of these companies yeah. are doing this with a transparency perspective and not just, I will use this just to increase my market share and my profitability, but that we are doing this with an intent to bring some of these insights to the world because I think it's really important. And, and again, going back to my earlier comment of, while this could be a experiment that's specific around how this behavioral science aspect reacts in a mobile app around healthy eating behaviors and exercise, maybe there's some transferability to that into how people learn, how do yeah. we stop people from you know doing dangerous activities and and more safety focus. There could be a variety, a, a multitude of different pieces that yes. you could potentially apply some of this research to if it's presented out there so people know it and they can they can look at it. And to your point, have it be in a peer-reviewed journal, even if it's not in a peer-reviewed journal, because I think some of these experiments are probably not set up for making sure that you have to jump through all of those hoops which is is a thing I think to a certain degree we can take information and it's and it's action and the results that you see in the real world and there's there's value in that as well. You may yeah. not be able to get at the specific mechanism which is oftentimes the the interesting part of this but you can see that there is reality of of behavior that gets changed and that then becomes a stepping off stone for maybe actually doing some lab research on why that is and looking at things from a little different Yeah, to bring it back into a more controlled environment. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I want to leave uh, for me, like the last big point was about his comment that brain power trumps willpower. And we've had several guests who have talked about how willpower is overrated. Mm -hmm. And I really, I really love that. I mean, it doesn't take away the fact that willpower is meaningful, but the fact that we tend to think that, oh, if I'm just, if I'm just committed enough, then that's enough. Um, but what he's doing is building a skill-based program. It's not just about information. We know the GI Joe fallacy that <laughs> knowing is just not even nearly enough. So this is a terrific opportunity for people to, to actually get into something where they're not having to rely just on willpower. Well, and I love this idea too of being able to take this to the next step in, in one of these next iterations that he does. And he talked about this potentially idea of having a VR store to help people practice Oh, yeah. You know, resisting going through a grocery store and not picking up the ice cream, which is a very stupid idea in my idea, because ice cream is by far the <laughs> the best food in the world. Pretty, pretty great. Yeah. And, you know, I can do all my calories by ice cream. Uh, you know, would that be OK? I, I don't know if that's actually a good thing, but, you know, for me, I might be good. Um, but but with that, it's it's bringing this uh, information based piece along with a skill trying it out and practicing it. And it's the marriage of that. And I think oftentimes in the world that we do, there are places, different things that we do where it may be more heavily weighted to a skill-based learning, for instance, and you can maybe 
correct me if I'm wrong on this, but music lessons, right? Music lessons seem to be very much, here's your piece, practice it, go doing it, but not a lot of the background of music or maybe some of the theory behind music or some of the ways that you know, music fits into a larger narrative, which may bring some of that brain power into the skill set. This um, is yeah, like when when math starts coming out of the math classroom and into cooking, because I have to figure out what a, a fraction means, what a half a cup means, or a quarter of a teaspoon means, and and the application of the math in the real world. Yeah, music could certainly be that. Uh, it could certainly be improved in that way. Yeah, so I think there's probably other areas, and I don't, you know, there could be a multitude of those as well, that we could marry this information as well as then practice. And I think if we could do that, you're going to have a better result as as a result of that. A better result as a result. What is that called again when I'm using the, the word to describe the word? Homological. Uh, homological. <laughs> we learned that in one of our last episodes. Thank you. You just would have been such so much happier if you just would have paid more attention in English class. <laughs> <laughs> I am pretty sure my English class never ever talked about homological uh, anything. So, um, yeah, he talked about Maslow's basement, which I thought was really an interesting thing because I had not heard of it. So I did a little bit of research, and it was is it was as he said, uh, Chip and Dan Heath, and in, in their book that they talk about this. But it's this idea that. Uh, we tend to try to motivate people at that lower level of Maslow's pyramid. And this idea that if you can get people to uh, motivate at a, to a higher level on that pyramid uh, and to use all, all of those levels from a motivational perspective, you're going to get a, a greater motivational input. Now, I'm not a big Maslow fan, no, me but, the, but the concept no. of this, right? The concept that it, instead of just saying, here's a cash reward, which we've talked about, getting into people's self-identity, getting into rewards yeah. that that hit on their intrinsic motivation and this this feeling of, you know, social bonding or this idea of of the greater purpose of what they're trying to achieve in this world and defending their their social group, uh, their tribe per se. Kind of reminds me of a little bit of the four drive model. Oh, absolutely. Um, Which is where I went with this as, as well. And that felt much more uh, contemporary and applicable to think about the four drive model. Uh, and we'll we'll have a link in the show notes to uh, Lawrence and Aria's uh, work on that because it's, it's pretty terrific. But, yeah. but that that uh, seems much more applicable and more, um, I don't know, uh, higher efficacy for okay. what we're, we're trying to get done today. Yeah. And I think there's some really interesting pieces of that where we don't often think about rewards. I just like the idea of of the basement and just the visual representation, because I think most people know Maslow's Pyramid and it's an easy to grasp concept, even if I disagree yeah. with, you know, it. you don't have to have, you know, satisfy your first level before you go to the second level but that's a whole separate separate well, maybe, conversation. maybe we shouldn't even be talking about it because we're re, we're reinforcing a social norm that we don't agree with <laughs> <laughs> just think of the four drive model and, and then the other piece uh you know there are a couple things that he talked about that i thought were really great it, the N nsv right this non-scale victory I'm like going, oh, what a what a wonderful yeah, idea, yeah, the positive good. reinforcement aspect that he really talked about, and that the biggest competition is 
is uh, a coat as a couch. You the know, couch. That's the, yeah. 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 And then the last thing that I wanted to leave on is just this idea that I was really refreshing to hear about his desire to make a difference in the world, particularly when we were talking about some of the COVID stuff and going on. And he talked about he, they wish they were bigger so they could have a bigger impact on people's behaviors and, and their life. And I just thought, you know, a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs want to get big because there's a more money, more fame, more, more whatever. And it was refreshing to hear, no, he wants to be big so we can make a positive impact on people's lives. And that was, I, I thought I kind of agreed with that sentiment. And I think it matched with what we'd heard from the very beginning of the conversation. Yeah. Intentions make a difference for us that we care about intentionality. We care about the words that people use. We, we care about um, the uh, approach that they're taking to the world and to be a little less capitalistic and a little more pro-social in the way that Artem is expressing his um, his entrepreneurial spirit is rewarding and uh, inspiring to us. Yeah. All right, everybody. Hang on. We're going to do a bonus track right after this. Hey, Groovers. This is Kurt with the bonus track. In this episode, our conversation with Artem Petikoff overviewed the story of Noom and explored the behavioral science aspects that are baked into the product. Here are a couple of key takeaways. First, while Noom has grown exponentially in the last three years and seems to be everywhere in my social media feed and radio advertisements, it has been in the works since 2008, the overnight success that took 12 years of time. In that time, they have narrowed their focus and experimented with a number of iterations and methods, but according to Artem, have only achieved 15 to 20% of their vision. Second, the design of the program uses behavioral psychology to help improve people's outcomes. Bringing a behavioral science lens to their work helps make the app more impactful, from understanding triggers to variable reinforcement schedules to the visual cues that the reinforcement has. A big focus of Noom is on positive reinforcement and how to nudge behavior using a positive framework, including NSVs, which are non-scale victories. Love that concept. These behavioral changes that will lead to weight loss in the future, but may not show up on the scale immediately. That's what an NSV is. That leads us to the third point we want to recap, experimentation. Artem said that they had experiments all the time and that those experiments in, are in the real world, not just in the lab. They experiment with 10,000 users and that informs their product and they make changes based on this. That is a process that I think more people should use in thinking through how they're iterating their products and services. All right, let's get to the groove idea for the week. Think about how you can use positive reinforcement with somebody in your life. Find something that someone, either a spouse, a child, a teammate, and give them something that you would consider a positive reinforcement for an action that they do. So make a purposeful effort to go out and give some positive reinforcement this week and let us know how that goes. We really want to hear about that. And lastly, we want to thank you all for listening. We do this because it's a passion for us and we are so grateful that you listen. Please let us know how we are doing and anything we can do to improve. You can reach us through the comment section on the Behavioral Groups website, or you can find us uh, on Twitter or LinkedIn. Stay safe and make it a great week. Mm -hmm.